And so, like we started last week, we start kind of talking about these definitions. And so we get into this idea of uh, godly sorrow. You know, it's grief or related to mourning. Uh, this idea of repentance as far as definition, definition, this afterthought, change of mind with the addition of regret. And you remember how we had talked about last week, how regret related to this idea of repentance. So uh, this says, would like the subject previous, would subject previous, subject previous thoughts and actions undone, turning away from the old and then on to the new. Uh, you know, you can see how regret played into that, uh, how our definition of that uh, works as a part of this idea of repentance, how it helps change us, um, helps us to be that new man that we're supposed to be. Um, you know, I kind of wanted to go back and look, when, since we're talking about this idea of godly sorrow, at some examples of sorrow and grief uh, in the Scriptures. And... Um, We'll start here with one I think we didn't talk about last week. It was kind of on my list, but we didn't we didn't do it. Uh, talking about Peter says, Then he began to curse and swear, I do not know the man. And immediately a rooster crowed, and Peter remembered the word which Jesus had said, Before a rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went out and wept bitterly. All right, here's another guy we all know. In Psalm 6, 6, I'm weary with my sighing. Every night I make my bed swim. I dissolve my couch with my tears. And for most of us that got any age on us, we can kind of relate to that idea of, of a regret, uh, a sorrow with regard to uh, our sin, you know, a choice that we've made that uh, is the wrong choice. You know, when we've left God's will, we've done our own will, and we've seen the damage that it's caused, um, you know, there's a sorrow that goes with that. And we want to talk about the difference between this godly sorrow and not. All right? And here's another guy we know. Wretched man that I am. This is Romans 7. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, on the other hand, I myself with my mind am serving the law of God, but on the other with my flesh the law of sin. And we see this attitude that Paul has, uh, you know, towards himself. You know, this idea of sorrow, and he, he recognizes who he is, and it generates that. So we've got really Peter, David, and, and Paul as examples of this godly sorrow, and, you know, I've got up there in, with a question mark, perfect men, and of course we're like, no, okay, we know that that's not who they are. But we certainly see this idea of that, that, that they're men of sorrow and grief, and, you know, like when we compare the regret or the sorrow uh, or grief that we see Saul have and we compare it to the uh, same thing that we see in David, what we see is a different result and what we see is really kind of a different character, a a different way of processing uh, that sorrow or that grief or that regret. And, you know, like I say, this, this subject is 
these subjects are all so related. Thought it'd be good to kind of follow through with some more of this. Um, and then again, like we think about, okay, sorrow, grief, regret over what? You know, is it this idea of being discovered? Um, you know, and I think we see that uh, some with Saul, and even this idea of maybe being disgraced. Um, you know, I I certainly know that that's a part of any of this, but when you think back about these three men, uh, you know, was there an attempt to save face when they came to that point of repentance you know in other words when you kind of look at the way they acted what they what did they do in response to that um you know was there a cover-up you know when we talk about this idea of discovery you know the idea of cover is in that and this idea of being disgraced you know it's got to do with pride or humility you know this uh, pride versus humility where are we going to be in this you know, what's our attitude? How are we going to roll this around in our head, in our heart? Um, and, you know, this last one, you know, how about maybe over their failure and their sin? You know, so which, you know, which is it? How do we see these things when we do fall, when we do fail? How do we process those things and where do we want to assign blame and how do we want to deal with those things you know do we want to cover them do we want to save face um and then we look at these men and and you know where they went what they did with that sorrow um so what are what are my instructions what what is it we're supposed to do how are we supposed to do this So we see in James chapter 4, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Um, And you look at what his instructions are with regard to doing these things. Um... You know, we as a group here, I think we could probably pretty quickly come up with what some of these things are that we do in response, you know, as far as confession and uh, restitution, restoring, you know, what's been lost as best we can. Uh, but those last things, you know, in that uh, verse 8 there, this idea of purifying your heart, you double-minded, uh, and then you know, put it with this idea, be miserable and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Um, you know, you start thinking about, okay, you know, I thought I was supposed to be full of joy and peace and contentment. You know, I thought really that's where I, you know, that's what I'm being told to do, but it looks like right here I'm being told to do something a little different. And we see that that's what, Peter did, we see that that's what David did, and we see that that's what Paul was. You know, that's that was the attitude that they had toward that sin. So, you know, we know that this serves some benefit. You know, there's this idea of, you know, how do I do it? How do I, 
how do I deal with it and how do I process it? And you, I just need for all of us to think about how this works because these are all things that we've felt. You know, these are all uh, processes, hopefully, that we've been through. And you want to think about what part of that is good and what part of that is not. What part of it works in his plan and what part does not. All right. This is Psalms 34, 18. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. So this is another kind of a conclusion that we made last week. Does a proud man have a chance here? You know, what is it inside of us that takes us from, you know, this mourning and weeping, this this deep, deep sadness, this sorrow, this grief. What is the thing inside of us that causes us most often to come up with the wrong result? You know, because I'm guessing that Saul had some of those same feelings that David had. What was the thing in Saul that kept Saul from having the same result David had? And I I think we we keep kind of seeing those same answers come back. There's something within us that causes us to fail in this, to not process it properly. And we keep running into this idea of humility and how it relates to sorrow and grief. And I guess last week we talked about this idea of regret. So here's another important R. You know, we talked about, you know, repetition and learning. Let's, let's talk about an R in repentance. I think this idea of realizing or recognizing, if you prefer, uh, that R, a few things. And one is what sin is. All right? Um, now I want you to think about it. You know, how often do you hear folks talk about sin in terms of failures or sin in terms of poor judgment or sin in terms of, you know, just maybe a mistake, you know, that I can just do it different next time. There's really nothing for me to do this time. You know, it's this idea of are you going to call sin sin? Are you going to treat sin like sin? And are you going to process it like Sin, like you see these other guys do that. You know, what what's supposed to happen within you? You know, what are you supposed to recognize? All right? What sin does. You know, if we don't recognize or realize what sin is, we're certainly not going to get to the point of realizing what sin does, what it generates, what it causes, you know, what the consequences are. Alright, so after we get to the point of, alright, I recognize what it is, I kind of see what the, I see what those consequences are, boy howdy, I must be one of those. I'm a sinner. Alright, um, and you know, I think right along in here maybe is one of those places where you're starting to turn loose of some of that pride. And grabbing a little bit of that humility that you need. All right. Wait a minute. What's going to 
what's going to turn this around, okay? So I need to recognize or realize that my Creator made a plan to save me from my sin and that I do need saving. You know, that's that's an important element in what we're doing, okay? That that there's a plan been made to save me from this sin that I recognize what it is, I recognize what it does, and I recognize I'm one of them. I'm part of the problem here. All right? And, you know, I need that. So that's, you know, that's one of the important elements, how we get to repentance. All right? So we talked about this last week. I'm only human. I'm just normal. Well, any, any way you want to say that or process it, we all know what that sentiment is. And I think we want to be careful about recognizing what it does. All right, so in Romans 6, it says, I'm speaking in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, resulting in further lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, resulting in sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You look at some of these very practical things inside scriptures that, you know, make an attempt to tell us, okay, how does this work? You know, what's two plus two? In other words, how am I supposed to think about these things? How am I supposed to process these things within me? You know, what what's supposed to be in my heart? What what am I supposed to be thinking? And you know, I think this is just a practical roadmap uh as to how we have this outcome, this eternal life uh that we're looking for in it, this idea of you know, benefit this idea of cost, we've talked about, you know, what's the cost? You know, what does sin do? It brings about death. And what's the benefit? This idea of salvation, this idea of eternal life. You know, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. I mean, we, we know that verse, and we just got to think about these things um, in a different way. All right, God made me that way. It's God's fault. And he was saying that which proceeds out of the man, that is what defiles a man. For from within, out of the heart of men, proceed the evil thoughts, fornications, thefts, murders, adulteries, deeds of covenant, and wickedness, as well as deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these things proceed from within and defile the man. Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, this is Galatians, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anguish, disputes, dissensions, factions, envyings, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. You know, every time we read these lists, I don't know, there's somewhere on there that I can always find myself... um, 
So if God made me like this, surely I'm excused, right? Isn't that kind of the thought? Okay, well, I'm just normal. It's just me. We're all human. Um, So, you know, what's wrong with this? This idea that, you know, surely there's no eternal consequence because this comes out of me and God made me. All right, let's see what some of these same books say. Galatians 5.21, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, well, wait a minute. Uh, It looks like I'm not going to be excused for just being me. Uh, Therefore, I will judge you. This is Ezekiel. Therefore I will judge you, O house of Israel, each according to his conduct, declares the Lord God. Repent and turn away from all your transgressions so that iniquity may not become a stumbling block to you. Cast away from you all your transgressions which you have committed and make yourself a new heart and a new spirit. For why will you die, O house of Israel? Once again, an unchanging God. Repentance required. Replacing the old with something new. You know, I think that's the thought we need to embrace. And we go to these, again, these same books to find these, these answers. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. So, you know, I'm not seeing sorrow and grief there. You know, we read those other early, earlier passages about this idea of sorrow and grief and that we're to go there. Um, so what we need to think about is how does, how do we go from the old to the new, you know, the old being those things we just read on the list, the new being these things we read, we're now reading on this list, um, and what part does this idea of sorrow or regret or or grief play in that? And what are the things inside, the elements inside that, that are important to it? And you remember that list, this idea of recognizing what sin is, recognizing what sin does and that you're one of those folks that's done that and, you know, understanding those consequences. All right, evidences of repentance. All right. So if we're starting to think about this idea of moving through this, you know, earnestness, diligence, carefully moving forward, prayerfully, diligently, hastily moving towards righteousness, you know, we're moving towards those positive things. We're wanting to get to those fruits of the Spirit. But we've got to understand that that godly sorrow, this idea of grief and regret, is a part of this process. Okay, Jeremiah twenty nine thirteen. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. Vindicated, guilt gone, peace that passes understanding. Protected, healed. Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. 
And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. And so this idea of dying to sin and living to righteousness. You know, think about what part does that grief and sorrow and regret play in going from one to the other? This idea of dying to sin and living to righteousness. Well, how do we do that? You know, what part, what part does this play? This idea of indignation, hating the sin. Um, do not participate in the unfruitful deeds of darkness, but instead even expose them. Remember we talked about this idea of covering them, hiding them. This idea of using our pride uh, to maintain our pride. Okay. Even when they're mine. Therefore, confess your sins one to another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. Go to one another for help in these things. All right, restitution, making it right, uh, as right as you possibly can. I like this story. It's in Luke 19. Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, half my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he too is a son of Abraham. And I'm always kind of you know, fascinated. You would think a lot of folks uh, today would want to tell that guy, oh, wait a minute, you hadn't got to do all that. You know, all you got to do is think about and say you're sorry. There's nothing else for you to do. Just feel it. And I, you know, I think, well, you know, it's interesting that Jesus' response uh, is not that. All right. And really, what better evidence of repentance than an earnest attempt uh, at making this restoration? In other words, you know, not only uh, for other people out there, but for yourself as well. What, what would be evidence to you of your own repentance more than an attempt uh, to the best of your ability to try to recover those consequences of sin? You know, to do this, one of the things we have to recognize is that my sin causes other people problems. You know, when I'm sinning, it's not just about me. I'm causing other people problems, whether it's, you know, uh, I'm just setting a bad example or, or else in a lot of cases there's some real consequences that come along for other folks when we sin. All right, this idea of longing for righteousness and fellowship. O oh God, you are my God. I shall seek you earnestly. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh yearns for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. In Isaiah 26, At night my soul longs for you. Indeed, my spirit within me seeks you diligently. For when the earth experiences your judgment, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. That's pretty interesting. <laughs> Okay, 
You receive salvation, justification provided for you at great cost. This priceless gift. Uh, when we talk, when we talked about gratitude for a couple of weeks, one of the things we talked about was the cost to the benefactor. You know, how is it that we think about or measure our gratitude? And one of the ways we measure it is the cost to the benefactor, the person that's given the gift. What was the cost of that? And for us to process that is an important piece of that. And so what's our reaction supposed to be? So in Luke eight thirty nine, we got, Return to your house and describe what great things God has done for you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. And so, you know, I think we're planning on having a, a meeting that's focused on this idea of evangelism. Um, you know, so what's my reaction? You know, I've, I've sinned. I've recognized that it is sin. I've recognized the consequences of sin for me and other people. I realize I'm a sinner. I realize that I need saving. I realize the cost that was paid so that I might be saved. I realize that it's a priceless gift, and I realize that it's been given to everybody. And then I don't tell anybody, right? I don't tell anybody about it. Well, that's really not, you know, what we see there. A little zeal. And there again, I think this idea of gratitude, some obedient gratitude. Okay, so let's look at some worldly sorrow. And we kind of consider Pharaoh and the shortness of his repentance. You know, he, he, he had this idea of, wow, these consequences are pretty great. Uh, you know, I'm going to repent and I'm going to let these folks go, but it didn't last long. Um, and you kind of wonder, okay, what, was it pride maybe that kept Pharaoh from letting those folks stay gone? You know, what was the thing that, it, that bogged him down there? Ahab and the fruit of his humility... Uh, Judas and his remorse, the rich young ruler and his tears. You know, we think about these stories. So how blessed is a man who fears always, but he who hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And isn't that all examples of just that exact same thing? All right, some things to remember. All right. Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself in the day of wrath and revelation to the righteous judgment of God. I think about this idea of stubbornness and unrepentant and an unrepentant heart. How does that, you know, what's that look like? And if y'all are anything like me, you've probably had that. Uh, where my response to my sin is more being set in my foot, being hard-headed, stubborn. And I really don't even sometimes get to that point of sorrow and grief or regret 
You know, I skip that step. You know, I go straight on to, you know, uh, I don't know, as I see it like that or, you know, uh, basically putting up a wall, protecting, you know, my pride. Um, and what I'm doing when I do that is I'm ignoring his kindness and tolerance and patience, not considering the kindness of God that's supposed to lead me to repentance. And I'm ignoring those things when that's the reaction that I have and um, I skip that step of grief or sorrow for what I've done. All right. Who is a God like you who pardons iniquity and passes over the rebellious act of the remnant of his possession? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in unchanging love. And I think about that, you know, we know him as love and we know him as unchanging, but this idea that he delights in unchanging love, um, and I go back and think about the guys we started with, Peter, David, and Paul. And I would ask you, do you think that he could delight in the unchanging love of those guys, in spite of the fact that they failed and they sinned. And I want you to think about that a minute and think about, you know, who we are and how we are and that part that's played in this um, sorrow, this idea of godly sorrow or grief. And I would ask you, if you think that's the, maybe the element that would have God have that opinion of you or me as we go through this life and fail like those men did. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to fail, I want to fail like those men did in my heart and in my head and the way I process those things. I want to have that same uh, kind of grief that leads to repentance. Luke fifteen seven. I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. I thought it was interesting that Matt led that 99 song. Um, and I did, does anybody... Know anybody who doesn't need repentance? This idea of not needing any, isn't that just somebody's imagination pretty much? Alright, so let's remember these uh, these three things. Let's remember His kindness, His love, and His salvation. And hope that those things and a memory of those things as we uh, do fail will uh, carry us to this place uh, where we have... Uh, this proper idea of sorrow and grief, this sorrow and grief that leads us to repentance and that we would have and give uh, not only to others but to ourselves evidence of that. That um, our gratitude for His kindness, love, and salvation 
would be given evidence. Um, and that this repentance that we experience uh, will be something that's evident. Like when we look at those men, Peter, Paul, and David, why, you know, why do we have those examples of their failure? And do those things benefit us as we process those things? So that's the that's the end of the lesson. Um, like for us to uh, consider those things, you know, for those of us that um, have uh, been obedient to the gospel, you know, where are we? Have we let um, pride? Have we let um, stubbornness? and an unrepentant heart get in the way of recognizing our sin, recognizing our need for Him. Um, what I would say is if, if we have, if we find ourselves subject to His invitation, that uh, what we do is uh, come forward as we stand and sing the song's been selected.